Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. As always, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is a Wednesday. It is September 20th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take phone calls today. Uh, 1030 and 1115. 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060. But let's get things started here with the poll question. And we'll start with one of the several big-time college football matchups for the weekend. Bob had a conversation in the 9 o'clock hour with Brendan Gulick of Buckeyes Now. If you missed it, podcast the interview, kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. But here's the question. Who wins Saturday night in South Bend, Notre Dame or Ohio State? Notre Dame continues to lead the way, 71% of the vote. Ohio State trailing on the board now, 29% of the vote. Yeah, point spread-wise, this has been kind of a wild journey throughout the summer. Before the season started, Ohio State and some of the uh, sports books that post uh, you know, games of the year lines, uh, and this was considered one of them. Uh, Ohio State was as high as seven-point favorites in uh, some of those shops. Since then, uh, you know, there were a couple of places last week that put look-ahead numbers, and it was basically three-and-a-half. Then there was a you know, pretty much now it's down to three and almost everywhere. As far as Ohio State, still a road favorite, but not the substantial number that it was for the majority of the summer. We will answer that question around uh, 1130 t- today, so still plenty of time for you to cast your vote, kdos1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at kdosam1060, he is now the odds-on favorite, as it is right now, should Tua Tungavaloa be favored to win this season's NFL MVP. And the masses on the no side continue to grow. 66.7% of the vote. Yes, at 33.3%. Uh, you mentioned he is now the favorite in the betting market. That's uh, the reason that this turns into a poll question. Uh, you know, he's moved ahead of many. Uh, he was not even close to the top three or four before the season started. And now he's ahead of everybody, including Patrick Mahomes, after Miami's impressive 2-0 and zero start with two road wins. And uh, Tua didn't pile up the yards. Uh, they, he obviously did in that first game against the Chargers in game two against New England. But I thought he was pretty efficient. He had one bad play uh, that you know almost put them in a situation to lose. But other than that, he was, uh, I think, uh, very efficient the rest of the game. And it was against the Belichick defense, and he's now 5-0 and against Belichick and his defense. The Belichick family, as I guess they called that on Sunday Night Football, uh, the Belichick family defense. Uh, so that's a good thing. But he's, uh, in most sports books now, the MVP favorite after you know, two weeks of the NFL season. I'm curious, if you're voting no, comment as to who you would slot into that spot instead. I mean, that's only fair, right? Who's the other yeah. alternative if you're, if you're saying no to Tua? 
Well, maybe I assume that many people would just say, "Well, I'm assuming that you know, the Chiefs will get better and Mahomes will have better numbers." But if the if the Chiefs' tackle situation doesn't improve, uh, that uh, may not be a certainty. And you know, Kelsey was on a snap count last week, so it's not like he was out there every play. Absolutely. We'll answer that question around 1130 ourselves on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Let's start here with the Arizona Cardinals and uh, take a look back at yesterday's press conferences with the offensive and defensive coordinator. See what they took away from that Giants loss on Sunday as the Cardinals have started the season 0-2. And and, uh, they will be turning their attention this week to the visiting Cowboys. But I think it's important to kind of go back and get their takeaways from what took place on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball for their point of view and their perspective. Uh, but before we do that, I know you definitely were able to touch on it yesterday. Obviously, the news here about Buda Baker uh, going on IR, so he is guaranteed to miss at least four games. Obviously, that changes the secondary. Obviously, that changes the skill set back there. It obviously also, I think, changes a lot of things on the defensive side of the ball in terms of leadership, someone bringing that emotional energy. Uh, the in-season hard knocks, we certainly saw all of what Buda Baker brings in terms of that uh, leadership and that emotional energy. So someone else on the defensive side of the ball is certainly going to have to step up in terms of that leadership role. Agreed, and uh, I guess that would be Jalen Thompson. I don't know if anybody else even qualifies as a possibility there. Uh, yeah, Thompson was certainly, uh, you know, obviously Baker uh, not not only didn't play on Sunday, he wasn't actually even in the stadium on Sunday in that game against the Giants. But you know, during a uh, you know, time when the defense was off the field, and you know, the you know, they had you know, they congregate on the sidelines there in their little defensive. They have a couple of uh, you know, benches where the defense uh, congregates. Uh, clearly, it was Thompson who was, you know, kind of the cheerleader or ringleader or leader, etc. cetera, uh, at that time, and I can't imagine that's going to change. You mentioned Buda Baker not being there on Sunday, and Gannon was asked uh, about whether or not Buda was there on Sunday in Monday's press, press conference, and I believe his quote was, no, I told him to stay home. Um, should I have paused hearing that from him? Because I guess I was a little, unless there is some sort of hamstring injury here where it, it's really detrimental for him to be like on his feet, I was a little surprised to hear he was told to stay home. Yeah, well, some of the insiders were surprised too, and there's speculation that this is just kind of accelerate a possible trade involving Buda Baker before the deadline. And, you know, obviously he wasn't happy about his contract situation. He did get kind of a modest increase in salary from the Cardinals before the season started, and he said all the right things. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he weren't here once uh, the trade deadline is over with. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on another team. Takeaways from offensive coordinator Drew Petzing here. Uh, you know, the question, what did he think of the offensive improvement from week one to week two? He is quoted as saying, I thought we did a lot of good things. Obviously, the points being a premium, thought we put a lot of good drives together, operated well in and out of the huddle, thought we ran the ball well. Josh did a great job of taking the next step in the pass game, so was really encouraged by that. Certainly, I would agree with that with, uh, with the first half. I was very impressed with what they were doing offensively there. 
Agreed. Uh, but I don't think there's any doubt. And after watching a little bit of the game uh, from Sunday at you know, on television uh, in the last 24 hours, clearly the Giants changed their defensive front in the second half, uh, especially after the first drive of the second half. The Cardinals failed to score a point and didn't even come close to scoring after that first drive of the second half. And they played like several guys in the line of scrimmage. They blitz much more, and that's Martin Deal's kind of his M.O. anyway. Uh, and the Cardinals' offensive line had no idea how to handle that. None. How did Drew Petting feel about Jonathan Gannon saying the offense did its job well enough in week two? And Petting said, uh, my message in the room is our goal is always to score more than they do, meaning the opponent, and we didn't do that. So I think at the end of the day, we have to do better on offense. We got to find a way to score more points. Yes, very encouraged by how we played and certainly did things better than we did in week one, but we need to continue to grow and continue to improve. And that's always going to be our mindset, win or lose. To your point here now about first half and second half differences, uh, he was asked specifically if he called the game differently, and he said uh, not necessarily from a, hey, we're going to get to this or do that. It's always kind of a, hey, what are we getting from them? Where are we in the game? What do we need to do to be successful? So you certainly don't want to repeat the same calls you go through the game. You're trying to find the next call to keep them off balance and allow you to be successful. Yeah, a couple things. First up, 28 points should be enough to win an NFL game. I, I, mean, I kind of agree with that viewpoint of things. Uh, but also, it was pretty obvious what the Giants were doing, uh, especially after that first drive of the second half when the Cardinals you know, responded to the Giants' quick score to begin the second half. Cardinals scored, and then they did nothing the rest of the half. And it was, you know, I think if we were sitting in the press box, you could tell the the blitzes were coming, or you know they certainly had more towards the more defenders towards the line of scrimmage, and I think that uh, you know, I don't know if you could say they were out coached for the game, because you know certainly the first half I think that they did some really good things. The second half, they had no idea once again to repeat of how to pick up any blitz. It seemed like. I also wonder if Dobbs, who's only been here for a few weeks, has that much freedom to audible at the line of scrimmage when there's obvious blitz situations coming from the defensive front. You know, obviously listening to you kind of have that second takeaway from getting the chance to watch some of the game again in the last 24 hours. So I don't know if this line of thinking at all plays into it or if I'm off base here that in general this coaching staff you have a first year head coach you have a first time offensive coordinator you have a first time defensive coordinator so there's just youth that being in charge of making those play calls making those decisions that some of that uh inexperience whether you're consciously or subconsciously thinking about it kind of changes how you make a certain call or just maybe not understanding the the situation that you're in so time of being in that spot will hopefully evolve better for them the next time they're in a situation to to make those adjustments to keep the foot on the gas yeah I think it's really difficult to evaluate this coaching staff uh, at this point and I'm going to say this probably all year long because they have a vastly inferior roster to almost everybody if not every team they play this season 
Uh, the other question that Petting had that caught my attention was just about Josh Dobbs in general and whether or not his confidence is growing. And he said here, I think a big part of it was his confidence. I think you could feel that in a way that he was playing the game and the way he was making decisions and the way he was taking ownership in and out of the huddle on the sideline with the guys was really encouraged by that. Uh, they certainly talk a lot about uh, in and out of the huddle, but to your point here, not really hearing anything much about the command at the line of scrimmage so wondering how much freedom he does have in those situations well i think he tried to change one play for sure and that was one of the four false start penalties as it turned out because the offensive line jumped the gun and uh yeah that was against an obvious blitz and uh, that was uh, you know one of those final two drives when they had uh, you know, a complete breakdown of the offensive line as far as just communication goes or concentration or whatever the term that you like to use uh, so that's the offensive side of things here. The defensive side of things here. They pitched a shutout in the first half and then uh, 32 points in the second half. So Nick Rollis here uh, was asked if some of the issues in the second half could be related to stamina. And he said here, no, it wasn't a stamina issue. That second half was obviously very disappointing. Jonathan talks about it all the time, that it takes all three phases to win. And I don't feel like we did that defensively. We didn't pull our part uh, in the second half to finish that game. I thought effort was there. Motor was there. It was a lack of executing at a high level. And when I heard that, I instantly thought about Cliff Kingsbury because that was like his phrase, executing at a high level. Anyway, he continues on to say, and it starts with me, and obviously there are play calls in there that should have been different. Uh, I agree with that, but you know, if Marco Wilson doesn't cover people better, it's not going to make any difference what they're doing as far as a scheme goes. He was pathetic, uh, and I think that uh, you know, I don't. This is just an opinion, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Uh, I think that he was targeted by the Giants, especially in that second half, and several of the big pass plays in that second half, and at least one running play when Jones scrambled and you know Wilson just completely whiffed on a tackle, which should have been a fairly easy play. Uh, he was bad. And uh, he's supposed to be their best corner, and he was one of the worst players on the field and probably the worst player on the field either side of the ball in the second half of that game on Sunday. Uh, then Rollis was also asked about losing Buda Baker and how do you replace that? And uh, essentially he says that it's going to take all 11 guys on the field to be able to make up for what you're missing with Buda when he's out. Yeah, I agree with that, but let's – Quite frankly, uh, you know, the first game of the season, they were so good in the front seven that Booter really you, you had to kind of search to even know if he was on the field in that particular game. So nothing against Booter, but Buda, but the other guys were making plays, and you know they had six sacks, and you know some of that was the inept offensive line uh, from the uh, from the Commanders, but you know they did they they were good up front that game. And uh, they were actually good up front in the last game in the first half. But then, you know, the second half, I think a lot of it is they just picked on Wilson and the Cardinals secondary. Not just Wilson, but the Cardinals secondary didn't make very many plays, if any, in that second half. 
flipping this to preparing for the Dallas Cowboys coming into town, uh, Nick Rollis was asked about Dak Prescott and the offense. Uh, he said here, I think as an offense in general, they are very well-rounded, and Dak can beat you dropping back. He can beat you throwing in the quick game. He can beat you in play action on the boot. That's hard to defend when you aren't one-dimensional. It'll be interesting and curious to see, you know, as we talked about it in week one, we didn't really see that offensive skill set uh, and the new look offense, if you will, on display in week one. In week two, you had CeeDee Lamb uh, being able to really take advantage of the Jets' defense. And in all of those scenarios, he was not facing uh, Sauce Gardner. So just kind of curious to see what sort of offense we are going to see here from Dallas in week three. Well, just based on week two, they put CeeDee Lamb in the slot on a high level of times and that's why he wasn't matched up against Gardner. And, you know, the uh, the Jets do not flip their corners or shadow any receivers for the most part. Uh, in fact, I don't know if they did that at all, quite frankly, last year. Uh, so that was a big deal there. But, you know, Lamb was outstanding last week. And remember, Brandon Cooks wasn't even available to play. Uh, so maybe the Jets uh, should have had some kind of different coverage against Lamb. But he was tremendous. And Mike McCarthy has definitely changed this offense tremendously, and uh, at least for the first two games. Uh, we didn't count the first game. At least last week uh, for the better. And it's not just uh, the Kellen Moore, let's gonna heave it down the field every other play approach, which was pretty stupid and basically got him fired uh, in Dallas. And uh, he's catching grief in, uh, in Los Angeles for the Chargers just basically flinging it down the field and not doing other things on the offensive side of the ball. You know, is the I guess the hope here for Dallas would be to play a little bit more complementary offense, defense, balance that time of possession to keep the defense fresh because obviously they are so dynamic. Well, they had the ball for like 40 minutes against the Jets. So, you know, that, that wasn't a problem on the defense uh, being tired in that game on Sunday. Uh, so we'll continue to figure out what the injury report statuses for both teams will look like as we continue on uh, toward Sunday's contest from State Farm Stadium. On the other side of the break, though, uh, Mike Sando of The Athletic put together uh, which NFL teams should be most worried. There are 11 teams. I thought we could go through them in addition to what our observations are from each one of these teams so far. Obviously, there are some players playoff teams that from last year that are on this list some teams that are in rebuild mode that are on this list so we'll dive into all of that here in the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports Show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. With it being September 20th, time is winding down for you to download the KDOS 1060 app and make sure you register 
follow along with how to make yourself eligible for the listener rewards, right now there is a $100 gift certificate up for grabs courtesy of Superbook Sports. So the perks of having the KDUS app with you wherever you go. Uh, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortelaro with you up until noon today. Let's dive into The Athletic and Mike Sandoz. Which NFL teams should be most worried and uh here are his 11 teams, and then we'll kind of offer up what we think about these teams as well. Number one on this list is the New England Patriots, and he says here, this is who they are, just another team. Obviously, we know that the Patriots have started the season 0-2. Um, it's been interesting here to watch them that the way in which they lose games in certain circumstances is through fundamentals it's through situational play and it's really interesting that that is coming from a bill bell Belichick coach team because for so long those little things are what catapulted them to victories and they just simply don't have the talent enough to overcome some of those mistakes here uh, Mac was been great in the middle of the field but throws in that Sunday night game that were beyond 10 yards he was 0-4 trying to hit his receivers down the field plus a costly interception there yeah, I don't know how much time he has to throw. I think that there's two things that have clearly stood out the first two weeks for me, or through two weeks with New England. One, I think their offensive line, this may be the worst it's been in the 20 years or so, or however long it's been. I guess 2001 is the first time they won the championship that season. Uh, I can't imagine they've had a worse offensive line than this. And the other thing is they're running out of corners. Uh, I think that those are you – know, Big-time concerns at this point because it looks like some of these corners are going to be out for a little while. Uh, you know, at least one of them's on injured reserve, so that's uh, at least a couple of more games and maybe beyond for Jones. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Those are the two things that stand out to me so, uh, the most for the uh, for the Patriots. And me being a Mac Jones detractor or not a fan, I actually think that he's actually he think he's been like the least of their concerns through two games. It's funny, they had three corners with the name Jones, and now they have no corners oh, with yeah. the name Jones on, on <laughs> the field right now. Uh, so, yeah, it's certainly, and the, you know, we talked about it when we were previewing the Patriots that the schedule is really brutal for them so it doesn't get any easier uh, and obviously defensively though they're putting up some big time efforts it's just out now being able to get the ball down the field and punch it into the end zone and score some points number two on might, might, might get easier this week they play the Jets so and the Jets by the way here is my note they had the ball for 17 minutes in that Dallas game 17 Wow. <laughs> Number two on this list is the Broncos. Mike Sando says here, Sean Payton can't fix Russell Wilson. This is an interesting statistic here. Sean Payton was previously 72-0 in his career when leading by at least 18 points and 20-0 when leading by at least 18 before halftime. Enter the Commanders from Week 2. He's now 72-1. and uh, There seems to be some clear frustration mountain, mounting from Sean Payton. As postgame, he said, We had to burn timeouts in the first half, and I'm not used to doing that. We have to be better. I have to be better. Russ has to be sharper with getting the playout and then we have to look at how much we have in if we need to wristband it we will plus these two losses came at home that's true where they're usually unbelievably good all the time but especially in the month of september 
Uh, so that's no good. I don't disagree with the assessment and uh, what, you know the, the Russell Wilson thing here, but this defense was terrible last week. Uh, you know, Sam Howe looked like he was you know, Joe Theismann in his heyday. Uh, and this is the same offense that we saw against the Cardinals do almost nothing the week before. But it was easy pitch and catch staff. Sertan had a terrible game. Terry McCorm burned him a number of times uh, in that game last Sunday. So you know, I know Vance Joseph, uh, former Cardinals defensive coordinator and former head coach at Denver, uh, you know, now three coaches, head coaches ago. Uh, he's being trashed in Denver this week because that defense was really, really bad on Sunday. On my notes there, I had, is it all the offense or can we put some of the blame on the defense too? So you oh, answered that yeah. question. Uh, my Definitely. next question and their, here. Their offensive line has also not been good at all. You know, we, last year they weren't good. We just figured it was the injury thing, which was you know accurate. They had a lot of guys out, a, lot, a couple of them for the season. Uh, but they're healthy now and they have not been good. I don't know if you're the right person to ask this question, but I'll pose it anyway. Should Sean Payton be getting a little more heat for the 0-2 oh, yeah. start because of Absol- the off-season yeah. comments he had? I don't care about the off-season comments. I could care less about that. But he should be getting heat because they look like a poorly coached team through two games. Number three on Mike Sando's list here is the Chicago Bears. He says Justin Fields and the offense won't be much better this season. If you take a look at some metrics here, last season through two weeks, the Bears offense was minus 7.2 EPA. This season through two weeks, it's minus 19.2 EPA. So certainly going in the wrong direction from year over year. Uh, And then the question I have is, you know, they obviously decided to go all in on Justin Fields move away from their top pick in this year's draft. Is that something they're going to go back and look on and regret? I'd say yes. I wasn't an advocate of them drafting him or any team drafting him highly to begin with. Uh, He was a tremendous college quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, He wasn't required really to read defenses because that's kind of the way that the offense is run there. It's like basically, you know, you know, First, you know, he had a good offensive line in those days at Ohio State. It was just basically you know, one step, you know, one read, and throw the ball uh, to an arsenal of wide receivers, many of whom are currently in the NFL. But I think the wide receivers made fields more than fields made the wide receivers in his college days at Ohio State. Uh, no pun intended here. I guess this is pun intended because I said it ahead of time. Uh, he's not seeing the field. But that does not surprise me at all based on his Ohio State days when he didn't have to read the field. He also holds on to the ball forever. And all these sacks from last year and this year, they're not all on the offensive line, which isn't good, but a lot of them are on fields. Uh, And on the defensive side, they're really bad on defense. I think everybody thought they were going to be really bad on defense. But now they're without their top two safeties. At least they were by the end of the game last Sunday with Eddie Jackson and Brisker both out. You mentioned the offensive line. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting here that the Bears have placed starting left tackle Braxton Jones on IR. So an offensive line that was struggling now doesn't have their left tackle. Well, and they also don't have one of their guards who was already placed on IR before the season even started. So that's you know, you know two out of five guys, so you can all do the percentages there. 
Number four on Mike Sando's list here is the New York Giants, and he says their comeback victory at Arizona stops their fall only temporarily. Uh, starting the season being outscored 60 to nothing through six quarters is bad. Uh, you also look here at their upcoming schedule, and it's not easy. So the Thursday night contest that likely will not have Saquon Barkley. I know Brian Dable is trying to have some optimism here, but he did not practice Monday or Tuesday. So they're playing the 49ers on Thursday. Then they have a lengthy break because then they next play Monday night hosting the Seahawks. But then they also have the Dolphins and the Bills. So you have Saquon Barkley's injury, you have offensive line injuries, and you have this upcoming schedule. Yeah, well, I wasn't really high on the Giants to begin with. In fact, I picked them to finish last in the division uh, when we did our division previews way back when. Uh, so it seems like 100 years ago when we did those predictions, which was like a month ago. But anyway, uh, so we're not surprised on that. Not surprised that you know, he's basically saying that Barkley might play. Now, they haven't really practiced the last two days. Those were basically walkthroughs and projected uh, injury updates and so forth. And they have to officially release something today, and I doubt whether it's going to be an honest assessment of where Barkley's at. You know, Schefter reported on Monday he was going to miss you know, up to three games. Uh, so, you know, short week. Considering his injury history with lower leg injuries or leg injuries, period, I would be stunned if he were out there this week. Number five, the Jets. The Mike Sando says here the Jets are doomed without Rodgers. Uh, the defense can certainly try to keep them in ball games here, but Zach Wilson has shown uh, that he hasn't made that next step to be an NFL starter. The offensive line we know is a mess for the Jets, so certainly things uh, without Aaron Rodgers are looking bleak. Well, the fact that Colt McCoy is mentioned as a possibility on uh, NFL. No, was, I'm sorry. That was on ESPN yesterday. I get my NFL network and ESPN afternoon and NFL shows mixed up. But that was on ESPN yesterday afternoon that he's being discussed as a possibility to be signed. Uh, I thought Colt McCoy was the best quarterback here. I don't know. There's too many teams in the league. I think he would be, quote, the best quarterback. But he would be with the Jets. But you know, I don't even think this was a, you know, a situation with the quarterback last week. This is another team that has an atrocious offensive line, which I questioned before the season even started. And uh, they weren't good last year. And I think there's uh, some significant signs through two games that that offensive line is not any better this year. And that's the biggest reason they weren't able to stay on the field last week. We'll go 6 through 11 on the other side of the break. We're going through uh, Mike Sando of The Athletics, which NFL team should be most worried and what our assessments are of these teams through two weeks and a little bit of a look ahead as well. Uh, 602-260-1060 is the number. If you'd like to chime in, we'll certainly take some calls and pause our countdown for you. 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the extra point on this Wednesday, September. 20th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Back after this. Your morning drive. 
just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Continuing, Mike Sando from The Athletics, which NFL teams should be most worried and our thoughts on each and one of these teams. As a reminder here and a recap for you, one is the Patriots, two Broncos, three Bears, four Giants, five Jets. I will say this, that Justin Fields, uh, with the three being the Bears, he met the media here this morning and he talked about how he feels like he's not playing his game, that he's being too robotic and he needs to just get out there and uh, play play with some instincts okay well instincts got him injured at ohio state twice and got instincts got him injured last year in chicago so good luck with that uh, i don't think he has very good instincts quite frankly he's, he's a tremendous athlete um yeah, he's taken a lot of unnecessary hits whether he be at ohio state or at the bears because i just don't think he understands how to protect himself as a quarterback Moving on to number six here, uh, Mike Sando uh, has the Vikings in this spot and writes, finally escaping Kirk Cousins' contract beyond this season, only to realize Cousins is the best option beyond this season. They have started the year 0-2. Justin Jefferson, uh, we could certainly have an, uh, an argument, debate, et cetera, that he is the best wide receiver in football. Despite this 0-2 start, though, Kirk Cousins' stat- stats are really, really good. Over 70% completion. He's only thrown one interception. Questions here are, can they get this run game going, and what are some answers on defense? Uh, I have no answers for the defense. Uh, the offensive line, uh, I, obviously, I think you know, pass blocking, they've been okay uh, for the most part, even though he has taken some hellacious shots, but he knows how to protect himself, say, better than Justin Fields. Uh, he's more experienced at that, too, but still. Uh, they're desperate enough offensive line-wise, and it is, you know, they've been there last week they were without their two best offensive linemen because of injury, and I have no idea what their status is this week. Uh, Darisaw and and, and uh, the center Bradbury, uh, so we'll see what's up with that. But they're desperate enough where they saw signed Dalton Reisner, uh, who was part of the inept Denver offensive line uh, from last season, and he was on the street still, and they signed him yesterday. Number seven on this list, this these two teams play each other this week, is the Los Angeles Chargers. His uh, statement here is the negative narratives could be here to stay. The Chargers obviously inked Justin Herbert. They have him locked up long term. He has played well through quarters one through three and had some struggles in the fourth quarter. They have started 0-2 this season. Questions are, what's going on with the defense? Is it missing some key players? Is it scheme? Should Brandon Staley be allowed to continue if they go 0-3? God bless Mike for being uh, maybe the only other person in the planet that is pointing out that uh, Justin Herbert has struggled in the fourth quarter. This has been going on for three seasons that he struggled at the end. They lose close games. And it's not just all because of Brandon Staley and all in-up defense, even though a lot of it has to do with that. But he's not made plays at the end of many of those close losses. Uh, when he's made plays to help them get leads, 
uh, he is uh, not always or rarely probably more accurate sustain that throughout a game. So we'll see what happens. And this is why I'm not concerned with this week, at least about Minnesota, because they get to play the Chargers. And if the Chargers go 0-3, and three, I wonder if the Chargers will finally figure out, hey, we need to make a coaching change. Number eight, the Colts. Mike says Anthony Richardson's health will remain an issue. And at last look this morning here, Anthony Richardson remains in the concussion protocol. This is two games into his NFL career, two games he has yet to finish either contest. First of all, I think it's terrible that he had to self-report his concussion from week two. I mean, first of all, good for him for self-reporting it. Uh, But second of all, where is the independent doctor? Where are the team doctors? Where is people uh, looking out for him in that particular situation uh but the questions are with what are they doing on offense are they putting anthony richardson in harm's way or is this just kind of a rookie quarterback trying to figure out how to navigate through the nfl i think there's some similarities between richardson and and justin fields um i don't know how much they were really asked to do as far as reading defenses and so forth and you know, this is a little different for Richardson because he didn't have the arsenal receivers at Florida that Fields had at Ohio State, but they both use their legs a lot. And, uh, you know, Richardson's now been injured the first two games running the football. Uh, so you know, they've got to figure out something there. Also, it doesn't help that offensive lineman and starting center Brian Kelly, uh, who's considered to be the second-best offensive lineman in an offensive line that might be suspect, he was injured last Saturday. I excuse me, last Sunday, and apparently will not be playing this week. Number nine on Mike Sando's list here is the Bills, and he writes, Josh Allen's turnovers will doom Buffalo when it matters. Uh, this is a statistic here. In Allen's last 20 starts, week two was just his fourth turnover-free performance in his last 20 starts. Uh, so my questions here are, is this a Ken Dorsey situation? Uh, is it a communication issue? Is it, uh, you know, how, how do you communicate with Josh Allen to, hey, you need to be a dynamic quarterback for us, but we have to be more secure with the football? I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, well, you know, it, it certainly has been different in the last two years since Brian Dable left. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know Allen, who was loose with the football in the first part of his career, seemed to get better at that. The last couple of years that Dable was in charge of the offense in Buffalo, that has vanished last season. It's vanished this season. I know they had zero turnovers, had 38 points and zero turnovers, but the Raiders suck on defense. Uh, In fact, I think the Raiders have a chance to be one of the worst defenses in the NFL this year. Uh, I've kind of changed my tune on the Raiders' offense, but then after watching the Raiders try to block last week, maybe they're really bad on offense too. But uh, uh, but, the fact that he had – actually, there were a couple of interceptions that were dropped, I'm told. I did not watch that much at that game because it was pretty much over early. uh, As far And and we were in – you know, I was going to Glendale for the second half of that game, but I did, and we listened to it on on KDUS on their way to the Glendale. So, and they had some interceptions dropped in that game. I'm not the the Bills are kind of what I thought they were. I don't mean to, you know, I guess I'm quoting Dennis Green. God bless me uh, for that. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is kind of what I thought. I just don't think that they're going to win games when it matters at the end of the season unless he cleans up all the mistakes. Uh, the other question for me is, should the Bills be integrating James Cook more? 
Well, he certainly did last week. He had 100-plus yards total mm-hmm. offense, and he was the main dude. He looked good. He looked good, and I thought he was the best Cook brother in the Cook brother showdown on week one. But, again, there were external circumstances yeah. for what happened there. Well, hopefully that continues because he's on my fantasy team. Number 10 on this list as we're winding down is the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And Mike Sando writes, Joe Burrow and the offense won't hit their stride. Uh, you know, there ha- when actually Mike Sando had put together quarterback tiers that we went through in the offseason. And Joe Burrow was, of course, in tier one. But a lot of executives around the league uh, had asked questions about Joe Burrow's durability. And uh, a mm-hmm. lot of it had to do with what's going on with the offensive line. A lot of it also was, is Joe taking unnecessary hits that kind of seemed to be the sentiment from uh executives around the league so again now we're seeing this calf injury that happened in uh, tra- uh, uh training camp and re-aggravated here in week two the Bengals have started zero and two they did the same thing last year but is this the same team to be able to overcome all of that i have no idea uh once again i'm gonna point to the offensive line and uh, you know, they just seem to have no concept for two straight games of how to pick up even the most basic blitz. You know, the first game they got a whole bunch of you know, interesting blitzes from Jim Schwartz and, and the Browns. And you know, the Browns had all offseason, you know, at least since the schedule came out in May, to get ready for that first game. I'm sure that all offseason, because they knew they were playing against the Bengals twice this season. So maybe that was somewhat understandable. Uh, but week two against Baltimore, which you know, we questioned Baltimore's pass rush uh, throughout the summer. And when we previewed this game last week, once again, it seemed like the most basic pressure and blitzes that came from Baltimore. The Cincinnati offensive line had no concept of how to pick it up. And finally, here on this list, number 11 is the Chiefs. Mike Sando writes, early stages on offense will be harder to, or I'm sorry, early struggles on offense will be harder to overcome this time. This is interesting. The Chiefs are averaging 18.5 points on offense through two games. That is their lowest average since 2014. Uh, Jawan Taylor was a big-time acquisition for them in the offseason. He leads the league in penalties with six on the offensive line here. Uh, So obviously we know about the wide receivers. We obviously know about even the wide receivers that are there, their continued health or lack thereof. So Travis Kelsey has to get healthy and uh, off his snap count yeah the offensive line thing especially the right tackle is an issue no question about that it seemed like that uh taylor was uh, they had 100 yards and penalties last week as a team at jacksonville it seemed like all 100 yards were against him but that was being a little harsh i believe he had five penalties in that game uh but uh that was that was not good you know, Kelsey only played X number of snaps from last week. He was on a certainly on a play count. Uh, I don't think there was too many drives where he was out there for you know, an abundance of plays. So I'm not going to jump the gun here. I will say I think the Chiefs' defense has really looked good the first two games of the season against what I think is a, maybe going to be a pretty good Detroit offense. Uh, and then uh, certainly against Jacksonville last week when they did a tremendous job uh, holding, holding them out of the end zone. And Trevor Lawrence was 0 for 7 uh, inside the 10-yard line last week, which goes back to my Lawrence Herbert thing. Uh, you know, not the same guy, but you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert thing. 
is I realized that, you know, and I like to watch both these guys play and understand the skill level and whatever, but neither of those guys has really delivered in the red zone when it has mattered in many big games for more than one year. Uh, you pointed out the defense. I can't remember where I saw it, but metric-wise, uh, for the last couple of years, the Chiefs have been in the bottom five. Uh, and to start things through the first two weeks, they're in the top five. There, there's, I would say, very few secondaries that have more, more talented players, like multi-talented dudes, three or four defensive backs that are really good. And I don't know how many teams can say that in the NFL. We will wrap up our number one of Extra Points on this Wednesday, September 20th. On the other side of the break, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you uh, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. We'll have a quick final uh, segment of hour number one right here on KTUS AM 1060, online at KTUS1060.com and with the KTUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. In Monday night's contest here, the Panthers ended up taking out Bryce Young a couple of times, putting in Andy Dalton uh, to run the ball. There was a fourth and one, ended up not taking place because of a false start. There was a third and one and uh, ended up flipping it to Miles Sanders, taking advantage of the Saints cheating down, thinking it was going to be a quarterback sneak. But asked about it post game, Frank Reich, head coach, said, Some of these things you just want to limit the exposure of Bryce to. Bryce can do any of it, but you got an experienced veteran. There's no golden rule that says he can't come in and play a couple of plays in the game. Look what the Saints did. I know Taysom Hill's a different story, but why not do that to a lesser extent if it can be utilized in a positive way? Is this uh, an indication of Bryce Young, the offensive line, the shots that he's taking, his size? And then I was curious because one of the things that you were going to be monitoring in that Monday night contest was his arm strength. Didn't have much of an indication to figure that out because the offensive line was so bad. I was a little surprised at the decision-making by Bryce Young, which I didn't think was very good. Uh, Now he's running for his life. Yeah, he was elusive and made plays on the run when he was in Alabama with frequency. Maybe frequency is a strong word, but when needed to do so. Uh, he's you know, been asked to do a lot more of that here, and it's a little more uh, ad lib, and it seems like he's not been good at that. And uh, I had lots of questions of whether he could you know, basically be a shorter quarterback and be a good NFL guy. And I think those are legitimate questions right now. And as I mentioned, uh, some NFL people before the the game last week, based on the preseason and based on week one, were questioning his arm strength. So that's a lot of questions, and I think they're all legitimate at this point. 
you know, obviously those are valid concerns and we can also have the conversation as to, you know, where are you drafted? It has so much to do with your development. Uh, but I'm also wondering if we should start adding into that. Do you have an offensive line? Because are you able to really understand and have the game slow down for you? Uh, if not, you're running for your life. You never really kind of have that aha moment. Agreed. We'll get into that, I'm sure, more in the future, like maybe the next hour. <laughs> hour two is next.